Please pray with me. Lord God, may your word be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds in the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sarah. Everybody's um, Christmas decorations up yet? Anybody's Christmas decorations up yet? Uh, it's good to be with you again this morning. If you're new or if you're visiting, my name is Chris. I serve as the pastor here. Uh, it's a joy to be here. Uh, this is a fun text to preach on for me, actually. So almost exactly four years ago, this was leading up to the 2020 presidential primary, I had gone to a coffee shop one afternoon to work on my sermon, and I was working on a sermon, I'll never forget, on this exact text. And so this text brings up this memory to me. Um, and it's this text, right, where Jesus very famous, famously says, do not worry. And I sat down to write, and then all of a sudden there was kind of a commotion behind me, and a, a bunch of young people with political signs, and then I heard them all gasp and shout out, Bernie! And next thing I knew, Bernie Sanders had walked into this coffee shop where I'm writing my sermon. This is one of those only in New Hampshire moments. And um, so he was, you know, on the campaign trail, had just done a stop. And he comes and he gets a tea and he sits down at the table right next to mine. I mean, I could have reached out and touched him. And he starts working on his speech for his next campaign stop. And in the course of that, of course, you know, a lot of people came up and talked to him. I was impressed. Every person who came up and talked to him, he, he made the time for them. He would have a little conversation. It wasn't long. He would kind of, he knew how to move it along. And almost every person who talked to him, he would ask a question. And he asked this question. He said, what worries you about America today? What worries you about America today? Now, he's not dumb. 
he knows that fear is one of the most powerful motivators in the human psyche. If you can get somebody afraid, you can get them to do almost anything. And he knew that if he could get folks to open up about their worries, that sense of vulnerability would, let them tr- would make them trust him more, and it would give him valuable information as he was campaigning. And so he, he led with the question, what worries you? And of course, I kind of laughed to myself the irony of, of the whole thing, because here's a presidential candidate that we've all seen on the news. I could reach out and touch him, and he's asking everybody, what worries you? And I'm working on a sermon about a text where Jesus says, do not worry about your life. I did not bring that up to him. I probably should have. Five times in nine verses, Jesus says, do not worry. It's as if he's trying to drive home a point. Now, last week, we considered anxiety, and we specifically considered what we called gratitude, and we saw that's a broad term. It can mean joy and contentment as well, as an antidote to anxiety, and specifically a posture of gratitude, not just a one-time activity, but a posture that affects every moment of our lives. This morning, we're going to continue thinking a little bit about anxiety, actually a lot about anxiety, this time from Jesus' teaching. And Jesus uses the word worry instead of anxiety, but he basically means the same thing. We're going to see that Jesus addresses, he addresses a lot, but we're going to see that among other things, he addresses what worry is. So when I say worry, I'm using it interchangeably with anxiety. What worry is, why we worry, and then Jesus shows us how we can overcome worry, what it is, why we worry, and how we can overcome it. Let's start first by thinking about what worry is, and we're going to think about what it is by thinking about what it isn't. Sometimes it's helpful to come through the back door. A lot of people hear Jesus' teaching when he says, do not worry, and they think that Jesus is basically saying, just have no cares or concerns. You don't have to plan anything. You can just kind of sit around and frankly be lazy and just wait for God to kind of drop food right on your table. Just sit around, do nothing, and trust God. That's obviously not what Jesus means. There's an old um, proverb, an old Chinese proverb. I don't don't know if this is true. Maybe it's apocryphal, but it's a good image. It goes like this. A man who waits for a roast duck to fly into his mouth will wait a long time. (laughs) When Jesus says, do not worry, he's not saying just stand there with your mouth open and literally wait for food to drop in your mouth. Trusting God is not the same as laziness. Jesus is also not saying, do not plan ahead. He's not saying, do not plan ahead. In fact, Scripture affirms the value of planning. Proverbs 6 says this, Look at the ant, O sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, and yet... This is an ant. It stores up its provisions in the summer and gathers its food at harvest. Do ants, I mean, obvious question, but let's ask it. Do ants worry about tomorrow? I don't know, but probably not, at least fair to say, right? Probably not. But ants work diligently. They're constantly working, and Scripture teaches us to actually be instructed by something as insignificant as an ant. When Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow, he's not saying just sit around and do nothing. He's not saying you don't have to make plans, you don't have to, he's not saying any of that. He's saying don't worry. Worry is not doing our due diligence. Worry is when something consumes our mind. 
It's when our plans begin to own us instead of us owning our plans. It's when our minds linger, ruminate, especially on difficulties or troubles that we have. Worry is what makes you lose sleep at night. It's the thing you can't stop thinking about. Worry is what makes your shoulders, you know how your shoulders and the back of your neck get really tense. Worry is what kind of eats at us. It's what we can't stop thinking about. Now, where does our worry come from? Why do we worry? Now, if you look at what Jesus teaches here, he actually, um, modern psychologists think they've made this great discovery, but Jesus teaches it right here. Jesus addresses two fundamental categories of human need. Remember Maslow's, the, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if you know Maslow's, Abraham Maslow. Uh, he divides human needs into like five kind of stacking elements on a pyramid. And Jesus basically takes Maslow's hierarchy of needs and makes it into two. Or maybe we should say Maslow took Jesus's two and made it into five. Jesus says we have, basically he's addressing physical needs and psychological needs. We have physical needs in life and we have psychological needs in life. You could, you could use the, the terms security and significance. Preachers love, you know, when things start with the same letter. So security, those are like physical needs. You have to eat. You need shelter. We need a place to stay warm, especially the past couple of nights. But it can also mean more abstract things, like we just need to be safe. Those are those physical needs for survival. But then there are psychological needs. This is the top. These are the top three in Maslow's hierarchy, if you're familiar with those. We need to feel significant in life. We need to taste beauty. We need to feel loved and known and needed. Those things aren't essential to, to your physiological well-being. Like you, you can breathe without feeling a sense of beauty or significance in life, and yet there's something in us that needs that significance as well. And Jesus addresses both. Therefore, he says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink. That's the security. That's the physical needs. Or about your body and what you will wear. And I'll show you in a minute how he's talking about significance and psychological needs there. Let's think a little bit more about each of those. And we'll start with thinking about security. Like I said, this is food and shelter. It's also more abstract concepts like safety and health. And we express our worry about our security usually by trying to control our lives and the events around us. So a friend of mine just turned me on to this book about a week and a half ago. It's a German philosopher named Hartmut Rosa. And he's, he's he, uh, just a professor at a university in Germany that I had never heard of. He's not a Christian. Well, maybe he's a Christian. He doesn't give any indication of being a Christian in the book. It's a secular, ostensibly a secular book. And he wrote this little, like, 130-page book called The Uncontrollability of the World. Published it just less than five years ago. The Uncontrollability of the World. And, and he told me about it, and I bought it, and I've started reading it, and it's, I think it's already my favorite book this year and maybe of the past several years. He's so sharp. And essentially, he writes about how we try to control our lives in the world, and the more we try to control our lives in the world, the more it actually starts to slip through our fingers. It's like trying to squeeze jello. 
And he gives this one example. And he cites research. This is amazing to me. He cites research that demonstrates that after people install alarm systems in their homes, they tend to feel more anxious, not less anxious. That was surprising to me. Is that surprising to you? The whole reason we install alarm systems in our homes is because we feel anxious and we want to alleviate the anxiety. And he points to research that says, no, actually, when you install an alarm system, you're likely to feel more anxious. It's, it's likely to, to make you more anxious. Why is that? There's something about filling our minds with thoughts of security that feeds the anxiety itself. We're going to come back to this. That the more we think about the possibility of a threat, the more real that threat becomes to us, whether or not it's an actual threat. When you think about it, our concern, our worry, our anxiety about security, now I'm using the term broadly, so this is whether you eat or drink. Most of us, most of us don't question whether we're going to have enough food on the table tonight or a place to sleep. But I'm talking in the broad sense of security. Our worry about security is really a worry that God can't or won't provide for our needs. It eats at us because we're afraid that we have to provide for that because we're afraid that God won't. And to those who worry that God can't provide for my needs, Jesus has a, a really simple but kind of cutting response. He says, look at the birds of the air. Look at the birds of the air. Now, this is a really bucolic image for us, and we think of, like, not exactly a Thomas Kincaid painting, but something very pastoral and serene, and we think maybe Jesus was out in a field, and there was a meadow lark, or there was a bird singing its little song, and it's, it's kind of like this Disney scene, right? That's actually not what it was like. I just learned, I don't remember, maybe one of you told me about this, and I looked it up, and it was more true than I realized. There's a small image, I'm sorry, there's a small region in Israel. It's very small. It's called the Hula Valley. H-U-L-A, the Hula Valley. It's five miles wide, so it's very narrow. And it's one of the most active corridors for bird migration in the world. I looked it up. Ornithologists estimate that every, twice a year, once in the fall with birds going south and then once going north, 500 million birds fly through this little five-mile-wide corridor in central Israel. 500 million, so 500 million down, 500 million back, up. That's a billion birds a year passing through this tiny little area. The birds are so dense. This is kind of one of those like funny but not funny things. They're so dense that over the years, the Israeli Air Force has lost 11 fighter jets to bird strikes because there are that many birds. They've had to start planning all of their operations around the bird migrations. It's stunning. Can you imagine that scene? I couldn't, so I looked it up on YouTube, and I couldn't find footage of the birds in the air, but I found them, them all on the ground, like resting, and they're so dense you can't see ground. All you see is feathers on the ground. 500 million birds. Question number two, do you know where the Hula Valley is? It's in Israel, but do you know where exactly? I didn't either, so thank you, Google Maps. I looked it up. It's about a 10-minute car drive from the Sea of Galilee. Now, do you know where Jesus was when he was teaching this? You guessed it, Galilee. 
So when Jesus is teaching, when he says, consider the birds, he doesn't mean like consider one or two birds kind of flitting around and singing their little bird songs and pecking a worm out of the ground. He says, consider 500 million birds. Think about that. So many that they threaten to blot out the sun and you have to strain to hear Jesus' teaching over the squawks and the, the roar of the flapping of their wings. It's probably louder than the ocean. Consider, think of that scene and now listen to Jesus. Look at the birds of the air. All 500 million of them. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. Little side note, that many birds would, birds would need literal barns to store up all their food. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. I would imagine that your needs and my needs pale in comparison to half a billion birds. Like you and I each eat more than a bird, right? But if you consider what 500 million birds eat in a day, and if your heavenly Father feeds them every year, every day, can he not meet our material and physical needs? Can he not meet our needs for safety and security? Every week, and we're going to pray it again after our sermon this morning, we pray, give us this day our daily bread. It's worth noting, by the way, Jesus doesn't teach us to pray, give us today our weekly bread, or give us today our monthly bread, or give us today our yearly bread. He says, give us today our daily bread. Bread for this day. When you pray that, just like we're going to pray it again in probably 15, 20 minutes, do you pray that knowing and believing that God actually can give you your daily bread and wants to give you your daily bread? We worry about security, our physical needs. But Jesus also addresses those kind of higher level, more abstract needs like significance, our psychological needs, you might call them. We all want to feel loved. We all want to feel needed. We all want, to, we, we want our life to have a sense of purpose. And like, I want my life to count for something. And we're afraid that maybe God can't provide, won't provide for that need. The need for my life to somehow, in some sense, be a beautiful life. To which Jesus responds, oh, and look at the flowers. Now again, I found out, this is like, maybe we should, the, you know, your Bibles have little headings at the top, and usually on top of this section it would say, like, do not worry. Maybe it should be, like, the biodiversity of Israel. Because I, I looked up, and it turns out that there are so many wildflowers, natively occurring species of wildflowers in Israel, there are 1,600% more wildflower species in Israel than in the British Isles. And so you won't be surprised to hear that, of course, specifically the Galilee region in Israel is one of the two most diverse areas for wildflowers in Israel. And if you look up, because there's a website, of course, called wildflowersofisrael.com, you can get a categorized list of the 2,500 different species of wildflowers that just natively and naturally occur in Israel. Look at the flowers. 
Maybe Jesus said, look at the anemones. Look at the lupins. Look at the tulips and the irises and the peonies and the marigolds. Look at the sumac and the clover and the wolfberry and the terebinth and the silver wort and the wild peas. Look at those asters over there. Look at the cedars of Lebanon. Look at the knotweed. Look at the chamomile and the thistle and the feather moth. Are you getting the idea? Again, thanks, wildflowersofisrael.com. I don't even know what half those are. <laughs> but they have photos. They're beautiful. See how the lilies of the field grow, Jesus says. They don't labor. They don't spin. Like, they don't work at making, you know, spinning together thread, weaving fabric. And I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor, the richest man who ever lived, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of, one of these. And yet, if, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and then tomorrow is thrown into the fire and burned, will he not much more clothe you? If God has created that much natural beauty, and if you are much more valuable than they, will God not make your life a beautiful life? Who of you by worrying, Jesus asked, this is verse 27, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? So, doctors tell us that worry actually decreases our lifespan. God knows our needs even better than we do. He wants to care for our needs. The question for us is, how do we move forward? Where do we go from there? How do we overcome worry? And again, Jesus tells us, this is verse 33, if you have your Bible open. He says, seek first. So first eight verses, he said, do not worry about these things. Verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. See what he's saying? He's saying if you want to overcome worry and anxiety... If you don't want to overcome it, like, fine, that's on you. But if you want to overcome worry and anxiety, the key is not to work really hard at eliminating your worry and your anxiety. It will only make you more worried. Like that research about the alarm systems in the houses. The key is not to work really hard at eliminating the sources of worry and anxiety in your life. It's to fix your eyes on Christ. Let Jesus displace the worry. Let him fill your life so full that there's not room for worry anymore. I use this image a lot. It's, it's so broadly applicable, and it's applicable here too. The best way to get rid of weeds in your garden is not to pluck out all the weeds. It's to plant more flowers. And the more and more and more flowers that grow, the more the flowers will naturally choke out the weeds. There won't be space for them. We saw this actually in last, last week's reading, too. We didn't, I didn't talk about this last week. There wasn't time. But let me call your, your mind to Philippians 4, verse 8, when Paul teaches us, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, 
whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. What's he saying there? He's saying, don't think so. The more you think about your own anxiety, the more anxious you will become. So set your mind on what is true and lovely and noble, namely, set your mind on Christ. Do you see? Because whatever you set your mind on, that is who you will become. I have a friend who likes to put it this way. He says, beholding is becoming. What you behold, what you focus on, what you pay attention to, you will become. Or to make it less abstract, just remember what your mother told you growing up. You are what you eat. Whatever you take in, you will become. You are what you eat. What do you fill yourself with? Do you fill your mind? Let's get, let's get more brass tacks here. Do you fill your mind with the word of God? And do you work at prayer? And yes, prayer is work. Or do you let cable news and social media disciple you more than you let Jesus disciple you? Because let me tell you, if you only hear the word of God once a week in church for half an hour, and if you're lucky, 35 minutes because the preacher went long, but if you only hear the word of God once a week for half an hour, but you listen to hours of cable news or scroll through hours of social media every day, don't be surprised when your natural bent is worry and anxiety. Because you are what you eat. And let me, just, let me just dig into this a little bit. Any social media and any news outlet that is for profit, which is just about all of them, does not have your best interest in mind. They have their bottom line in mind. They actually have vested interest in making you more anxious. I mean, think about this. It's not, the math is pretty easy, but let's, let's do it. Let's, let's work out the figures here. The more anxious you are, the more you'll tune in because maybe they'll tell me something that will help me. If I can just educate myself enough, get enough information, maybe I can inoculate myself against whatever it is that is worrying me. And so you'll tune in more. And the more you tune in, the more commercials you'll see. And the more commercials you get to watch, the more they can charge the advertisers for those commercials. And of course, the more they can charge for commercials, the more money they make. There's an old saying that if you don't pay for the product, you are the product. Modern media, by and large, actually feeds on your anxiety. So if you find yourself consistently anxious, you should ask yourself, there are other questions too, but the first question you might ask yourself, how's my diet? What am I taking in? What content, what words, what truth am I taking in? Because you are what you eat. Do you consistently feed on the bread of life? Or do you eat more junk food? I'm not saying that cable news and social media are the only sources of anxiety. There are others. But I would wager that in 2023, they're probably the most common sources of anxiety. What does Jesus say? No, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you as well. 
Like, the more you seek Jesus, the more you seek God, the more you seek him and his kingdom and his righteousness, the more you find that God will meet your physical needs. Those very things you were worried about, God can provide and wants to provide for you. It probably won't mean you become fabulously wealthy. It may. But it will mean you always have enough. You will always have enough. Side note, paradoxically, sometimes God does that by lowering our standards. But if you are content and have enough, then who cares? You will find that God wants to meet your psychological needs, your sense of your longing for security. Again, not always in the conventional sense. Your life may start to look more like Dorothy Day's life or one of our family heroes, Elizabeth Elliot's life or Mother Teresa's life followers of Jesus who might not have been on the cover of a magazine, but would we argue that their lives weren't beautiful? No, they were far more beautiful than whoever's on the cover of whatever magazine. Do you see? Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. As well. you'll, get, you'll get what you needed anyway, and then some. It's funny math. Like the more we try to, the more we try to relieve our own anxiety, the more anxious we become. The more we fill our mind with Christ, we get Christ, and our anxiety melts away. And we know this is true because the same God who promises to affirm your security and your significance, your physical and your psychological needs, is the God who did it by sacrificing His own. He sacrificed his own security, his physical needs, by leaving heaven and becoming human and giving his life. What is that but a sacrifice of physical needs? And he gave up his sense of significance, the psychological needs, because his death, Jesus' death in his time was not an honorable death. It was a shameful death. The author of the letter to the Hebrews tells us this that he endured the shame of the cross. In order to give you, to give us eternal security and significance, Jesus gave his up. And now he turns and he looks to you and to me and he says, if you're willing to give up your sense of security and significance, if you're willing to give up your sense of security and significance, I'll give you mine. And they won't look the way you expect. But they will be better. And I gave up mine to guarantee it. You see? In Christ, we can enjoy the security and the significance of knowing that our sin is forgiven. Covered. Full stop. The Lord does not hold our iniquities against us. And we enjoy the significance of knowing we are not only slaves and servants of God, we are children of God. That God does not look at you the way a, a proud and cruel boss looks at his entry-level employee, but the way a father looks at his beloved child. Jesus invites you, find your security and your significance in me. Don't worry about those things. 
Don't worry. Don't let them eat at you. Don't let them make you lose sleep at night. Look to me and let me displace your worry. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, verse 34, therefore, just listen, let, as we close, let Jesus' words here be the words that Jesus speaks directly to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen.